VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you heartily for joining us. Guess what? This week I am especially excited because we're joined by the very excellent Paul Hurst speaking to us from a motorway rest stop uh, on his way to beautiful St. George's. We also have with us, and it seems appropriate, on the week of the dueling biplanes, one of them, uh, I don't know, if were you flying it, Stuart? No, I certainly wasn't. No, okay. Hey, Stuart Robson, and making his debut on the podcast, I'm extremely excited, it's I'd suggest possibly the most popular English journalist uh, north of the border. It's James Gearbrandt. Did I pronounce that correctly, James? Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's not Gearbrandt. Uh, no, we'll go with the uh, the English pronunciation as opposed to the authentic Flemish version. Later on, we're going to be joined by Henry Winter speaking to us from St. George's Park ahead, of course, of the big international week. I suspect he might just tell us why he's actually excited for the international break. But there's one place to start. It's the Etihad. Paul, I'm going to start with you because Pep says it is one of the proudest days of his professional career. That kind of blew me away. Do you get where he's coming from? Not really. <laughs> it's a very weird, weird thing to say. He's very emotional. Yesterday, Pep, I know he's very emotionally charged as a, as a person. Anyway, but yesterday, he was, he was very... Very round up, very animated, and you know, despite winning, you know, forty trophies as a, as a player and a manager, and you know, beating Real Madrid six two at the Bernabeu, he ranks a a one one draw on a wet afternoon in Manchester against Liverpool as, as one of the proudest days of his career, one of the most special days of his career. It was a bit baffling um, for him it, to say that. It's funny though, isn't it, um, Stuart? Because if Mourinho said that, we'd be like, "Oh, mind games! What's he playing at?" With Pep, we just kind of assume like, "Oh, look, he said something a bit." weird that we find baffling but he's being genuine right I think he's, he was talking about the attacking side of the game he was saying that the players play great attacking football this is what I preach this is what I want from my side and my side played some excellent attacking football we didn't quite finish it off but again that tells me that he's not worried about the defensive side of the game because that's what he was inferring to when he was when he was talking after the game no he's more worried about the fact that they can't finish chances he said yeah I mean, they defended poorly all around the field. Liverpool could have had four or five goals. Yes, of course, Manchester City could have won the game if they'd have finished their chances. But to be a top side, as Chelsea are at the moment, as his Barcelona sides were when they were beating Manchester United at Wembley in the Champions League final, when Manchester United can't get a kick of the ball and can't attack at any point, he has to get the defensive side of the game as good as the attacking side of the game if he wants to win the Champions League and he wants to win the Premier League. James, are you going to be like the Grinch who stole the Super Sunday over here? 
Well, I, I mean, I have to agree with Stuart. I think it was um, it was a poor game defensively, and I think it's it's no coincidence that two English sides went out of the Champions League with those the three sides that were at the last sixteen stage having conceded eighteen goals over over six matches. That we had a weekend where Arsenal conceded three. And uh, and Manchester City and Liverpool. I know it was one-one, but I mean it could quite plausibly have been you know four-four. I think on the expected goals, it was something like two point nine versus two point five. Um, one point five, actually. Was it? Sorry, apologies. Sorry, just for those expected you know gold peaks. <laughs> you know, um, hi Craig Burley, if you're listening. I mean, it was an exciting game, sure, but uh, but I think as as an exhibition of defending, a fairly poor one. Paul, I, I'm relying on you to to help me out here that you're not going to be as grumpy about this and maybe explain to these gentlemen that football matches aren't supposed to be exhibitions of defending. They're supposed to be football matches that you win by scoring more goals than the opposition. I thought it was very entertaining. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of... It was, you were at the uh, edge of your seat for throughout, really. The, the only thing that disappointed me was, was the referee. And he was, when Yaya Toure has gone in and cleaned Enri Chan out with his studs his shoulder he's not being punished for that and once he got away with that you know Michael Oliver you know he struggled through the rest of the match missed a, missed a couple of penalty shouts so that kind of soured the game a little bit if it, if it had been refereed with more authority I think we would have, would have had a fair contest I would we'll, thought we'll get to the refereeing in a, in, in a minute um, I, I want to go back to one team though and, and get your view on this story because Guardiola talked about the chances created I kind of felt that you know, sometimes you create chances because there's bad defending. People aren't where they're supposed to be. Uh, other times you create chances because you have genuine quality in the past or the buildup. I sort of felt that while those defenders aren't, in my opinion, particularly good, even John Stones, who people hailed as man of the match, some people did, I actually thought that the chances were generally created not by defensive errors, but by quality in the attack. Yeah, you're absolutely And the misses are just stuff that can't really account for. But the very best teams, when, when I was playing, Liverpool were the best team in Europe. They were the best team in, it wasn't the Premier League, it was the first division then. And you knew they had creative players, they scored goals for fun, they were the best team in, in Europe by far. But you also knew you weren't going to get a kick. So they did the other side of the game. And I'm not saying that Manchester City shouldn't do the attacking side or Liverpool shouldn't do the, the attacking side of the game. That's all. That's brilliant from them. But you have to get the balance right. And some of those chances that Liverpool created were good movement, good passing. But Manchester City was so out of shape and their decision-making defensively was so poor, it was easy for Liverpool to break through. I think it's quite interesting what you were saying about John Stones because everyone was hailing the performance of John Stones. I think he did play well. It's one of his best performances in a long time. But what, what's quite interesting was that what stood out to people, I think, was that he made a lot of it last was last-ditch challenges. challenges and sort of, you know, desperate interceptions. And I cannot stand that. This is, I'm sorry, this is the only place in the world where I've heard people say, oh, what a block by by, 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 so, by, by Ben Mee, who throws his head <laughs> into, into, into the other guy's boot because everybody's out of position. I, I, I never understood how that was good defending. Sorry. Well, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think it kind of, it says something, A, about John Stones, which is whilst mm-hmm. he played well, you know, He's still putting himself in those, and of course his teammates putting him in those positions. But I think probably something about ourselves as well, the whole kind of English football culture, 
that we're so we don't understand so... the tactics of the game. We don't understand the decision making enough. So we see, or English people see, the last ditch challenge that you're talking about. Somebody putting his head on it, which is all part of the game. But the reason that John Stones had to make so many last ditch challenges is because he made so many poor decisions in the build up of the play. Let me play. ask you this: What would John Stones be like if he played for Atletico Madrid? A far, far better defender. Because he would be organised, they would uh, Simeone and the, and the coaching team there would make him understand the game, where he's got to be, how he's got to defend, how he works with other players. At the moment, he's defending like an individual, and so are the other three players in the back four uh, of Manchester City. And it's almost impossible then to get any sort of defensive understanding. If you have defenders that aren't particularly great at right back and left back, and you you know you're not too sure about your centre backs, then you have to do more work on them as a unit, so that they they know exactly where they should be, how they're going to defend, what when the ball's here. That's how the best yeah, defence is always. When's he supposed to do work? When they've got a bazillion fixtures, they're in the Champions League, they've got they not only have an international break coming up. I mean, but that, should be, that should that should have been put in place. In pre-season, that should have been put in place earlier in the season. Every chance you've got, you should be doing that sort of work. <laughs> I can't really argue with you at that point. Uh, let's talk about Liverpool since they won it five times. Um, I felt that in the last outings, we still don't see the real Coutinho. And I thought, while well, he had his moments today. He's not obviously where he was at the start of the season, James. And between that and, and really, I thought, the lack of a natural playmaker in midfield, it meant that for all the energy, effectively... Liverpool had to be more direct, and and they had some success with that. Something I think when, when whenever I've seen Coutinho in person is he's very liable to, when things aren't going so well for him, drop back to uh, receive possession and kind of get himself in the game more and and sort of play almost as a more withdrawn midfielder. And it's something that you occasionally see Hazard do, but Hazard is so much better at dribbling past players that he's able to do it with a bit more success, I think. And I think sometimes Coutinho sort of gets himself in the wrong position on the field. Just That's just my reading from, as I say, when whenever, I occasionally watch them. Whenever I've watched Liverpool play at their very best and you watch the highlights of the, some of their goals they've scored this season, some of their better play, they're always looking to play the ball forward. Players are run, making forward runs beyond the ball. When they play poorly, as you've just said, players start to come deeper. Then their movement's slower. When they're playing forward-thinking football, players making forward runs, people looking to pass the ball forward as quickly as they can, that's when they're a totally... They're a good side, and that's what they did against Manchester City in, in large parts of the game. Well, Paul, you, you mentioned it before, and uh, and Pep touched upon it too. He said that how all the referees need to get together and, I suppose, talk to each other and figure out uh, because there were some there were some serious refereeing mistakes uh, in this game. There were some serious refereeing mistakes in other games uh, this past weekend. And it's funny because probably coincidentally, I, I actually flicked on Sky Sports News this morning and they had a whole feature on respecting the referee and it's some sort of thing that they're doing. Um, and immediately throw a comment like, the Premier League referees are the best in the world. I'm like, Christ, again? Um, what stood out to you as... Now, I'm not going to ask you what stood out to you as like major errors in this game, but what stood out to you as errors that that changed the outcome. In other words, was a draw a fair result all told or did the refereeing mistakes sway it one way or another? I see. If, if, if the referee had given the, I mean, to me the most blatant one was uh, Raheem Sterling getting kicked uh, just as he was about to tap into the net by, by James Milner. If you, if, if you look at that, at that point, if, if, uh, if uh, Sterling had scored that, you know, you'd have expected, I would have, I would have expected City to, 
start running away with it. Um, but then again, you know, the, the Yaya sliding tackle on MMA Chan was one of the worst kind of decisions I've ever seen, really. He was, he was banging from the referee. He got, he got some stuff. He caught him in the chest with his, with his chest or his shoulder uh, with his studs. And if you see you know, Tyrone Ming was getting banned for for five matches for, for stamping, I know it was on his head, so it's different. But, you know, um, if you see him giving a five-match ban and Yaya giving a yellow card for that, uh, a pretty restless challenge that it, that wasn't fair and obviously that has an impact on the outcome of the game obviously as well Did it look worse because Yaya is just bigger and heavier and like if that had been Raheem Sterling it might have not looked so bad Stood in the chest is all, stood in the shoulders quite you know it's, it's not going to be nice regardless of how, how <laughs> heavy true. the uh, <laughs> and it make a I mean Nigel De Jong you know obviously he's, he's you know he, he raised the bar quite highly in, in the World Cup <laughs> final but you know, any, any kind of stud in, in the chest or shoulder area, to get a yellow card for that is just it's pretty criminal, really. I, I was expecting a straight red. I was absolutely flabbergasted when, when he showed him a yellow card. James, um, you haven't been on before, so I honestly don't know. When we bring up referees here, you normally get the stick about the hardest job in the world, and then people say, well, as soon as we have video assistant referees, it'll everything will be fixed, and then... I normally pipe up and say, like, well, actually, I think the additional assistant referees behind the goal make a big difference. Or certainly would have done in this game. And then somebody goes and calls them lollipop men and say they're useless and UEFA's all corrupt. And What's your take? Do you, do you think that there's a refereeing issue or do you think it's simply because they're just under far greater scrutiny? And back in Stewart's day, like, far worse things happened, but nobody noticed and nobody knew about it because it was sort of hand-operated slow motion after the game and stuff like that. I don't think there's a glaring refereeing issue. I mean, what you hear a lot from from managers, disgruntled managers and, and pundits is, you know, all we want to see is consistency. And that, that, I think, is kind of what Guardiola was driving at in his kind of suggestion that all the referees should sit down together. But I, I just think that this, you know, consistency is always going to be elusive because you have on the elite refereeing panel, I don't know how many it is, but, you know, 13, 14 different human beings who are all going to make different mistakes all the time. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We have to talk Wenger again because they contrived to play and lose to West Brom. But good thing, Stewart's here. Way! 
Um, anybody has anything clever to say about the dueling airplanes beforehand? Not really. I want to ask this, and I really haven't followed it because I don't actually care that much, but the Pro Venger airplane, do we know who paid for that? You suggesting it's somebody at uh, Arsenal Football Club? No, I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. I, I'm just kind of wondering what kind of a person. I'm, assu- I'm assuming what happened was they found out there was going to be an anti Wenger one, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, let's come up with a pro Wenger one to balance it out." I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. the mindset, right? Um, you know, people think this stuff costs bazillions of pounds. It doesn't. It's not even that expensive. But I'm wondering what kind of a person does that especially when let's face it there's an inertia to this this is arsenal we're talking about the guy's going to decide if he's going to stay or leave right do you really need to go and do this does it it not show you though that because um you know kranka has said you know he's very much a silent he's silent on all this and 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 wenger he hasn't even said that he's just stayed silent well he's silent stand correct and uh, and wenger himself has not said anything definite. He's been very cryptic and sort of let the issue linger. There is such a kind of vacuum of any sort of like decisiveness or leadership on this issue. You can pay, I don't know how much skywriting costs these days, but you can pay £50 to a skywriter and kind of, you know, dominate the kind of Venga in or out narrative of any particular weekend. Yeah, and I mean, I think Arsenal also put out some propaganda with the Sanchez issue. Not not so much now, but when he got dropped for the Liverpool game, it was then obvious that Sanchez was going to be the villain of this. You know, he didn't. Oh, not he, just it, that. I mean, Wenger himself when he, when he brought up those those ridiculous runnings. Yeah. When well, he didn't specifically yeah. say that, but then funny enough, Sky had the stats right about the number of sprints and the running. Don't bring up the distance covered numbers doesn't mean they're completely completely meaningless it happened again this weekend in one of the the the, the sunday papers um somebody i won't name david walsh goes and mentions about you know lukaku's work rate when chelsea played everton they went five nil lukaku had run had covered a lot less ground than diego costa did and i'm like yeah because everton are playing in like their own penalty box the whole time what's he supposed to do do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, these stats are so meaningless when taken out of context that we in the media need to do a better job not not falling for this because this is just completely stupid, stupid, meaningless stuff. Sorry, Paul. Um, <laughs> I, no, I agree. I, I, it depends. I know this is really kind of basic, but it just depends. If you if you run a lot, it doesn't mean necessarily that you are effective in your job. I'm sure Zlatan. Ibrahimovic doesn't run a lot, but you know, whatever he runs, he, he makes a, a decisive run into the right area. You're absolutely right, Paul. If you've got a good game plan and your coach has set you out to defend really well, you're setting your game plan so you don't have to run quite as far. So, you, so your stat shouldn't be quite so, so big. Do you remember when Juventus reached the Champions League final, came within 90 minutes of it? That Juventus midfield was Arturo Vidal, active, dynamic player. Claudio Marquis, your active, dynamic player. And Andrea Pirlo, right? Yeah. Old, slow, standstill. Do you know who covered the most Pirlo. ground? Yeah. Presumably he was walking the whole amount or jogging and, and whatever. So I just don't want to see this. It just makes us in the media look so stupid when we go and we just buy into this this nonsense. Sorry, rant over. Paul, I, I had a sense ahead of time that, all right, West Brom's race is kind of run. I mean, and Tony Pulis can talk about motivating them, but West Brom have kind of won their Premier League this year. You know they've 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 been exceptional, and you maybe you saw a little bit. They took their foot off the gas a little bit in the last couple of games. 
But I had a sense that there's a genuine dislike between Tony Pulis and Arsene Wenger. And I kind of felt these guys are going to be totally up for it against Arsenal. That's what happened, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I completely agree. But you look at, I know Pulis came out to bat for Wenger uh, after the match, saying, you know, he's, he's not being treated with respect by the Arsenal fans. But you look at the needle that's, you know, existed between those two over the last last 10 years. It's, it's, Wenger accused him of playing playing rugby, didn't he? And then, obviously, the Ryan Shaw cross breaking uh, Aaron Ramsey's leg. And, uh, you know, obviously, Wenger reacted very badly to that. I think at one point, he actually Pulis accused Wenger of mourning like a drain, which I don't know if drains necessarily moan. But, um, <laughs> the ones in the Pulis household do. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there is a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of history between those two. Uh, and that that must be one of the reasons for you know that West Brom saved up for it. But again, I mean, it didn't take much to knock them over, did it? You look at how easy it was for, uh, for for Dawson to score those headers. It just, I mean, who would have thought that West Brom had put a you know put balls into the box and attacker was a uh, was a defender headed? You know that that would have surely never crossed Vega's mind in his build up to the to the match. It's just so you know it's so blatant that they were going to attempt that kind of tactic, and Arsenal just didn't seem ready for it, which was uh, you know startling really. James, I'm going to unleash the Robson in a minute, but um, one thing that Stuart often likes to point out, and I think is absolutely correct about Arsenal under Wenger, is the lack of a defensive game plan, right? I contrast that with Tony Pulis, who is one of the few managers in the Premier League who does double sessions and spends a whole time with his like, you know, back six, including the the two fullbacks who are really center halves, going and doing like you know one step this way, one step that way. It's just an incredible contrast in defensive approach isn't it we were discussing uh, uh, earlier how good player john stones would be at atletico madrid how good What's, would he be at west well, Brom? i think that's really interesting isn't it you know would he be a better defender under tony pulis because oh. guardiola would he be allowed to pass the ball or would he just boot it every time though well who knows but guardiola <laughs> was play at right back because uh, he uh, likes yeah, to send a half at right back that's true yeah <laughs> anyway um yeah i, I think west brom are, uh, have been outstanding under Tony Poulos. I watched West Brom in the second week of the season when they played Middlesbrough and they drew nil-nil. And I thought they were they were in for a relegation dogfight. They were so ponderous. They were booed off. Poulos let rip at the board saying they needed bodies all over the pitch. They were crying out for new players. They then didn't get any new players or very few. And the, the way that he's kind of inspired them to what looks like a, it could even be a top eight finish, I, I think is has been outstanding. Pulis and Wenger do not get on. Pulis really detests Wenger with a passion and what he's what he said about Stoke in, in previous times. So he had his team up for this game. But the game plan was always going to be to sit deep, to be compact, then try and plan. And Arsenal's defensive understanding when they lost possession, because... I always say you have to get the balance right. You can't just be a, a defensive side and, and at, the, at the cost of attacking. You can't be an attacking side just at the cost of defending. You have to get the balance right. And he got the balance right, Pudis, because when they did win the ball back, they had a counter-attacking plan. When Arsenal lose the ball, they don't understand where they have to recover to. Here's my thing, right? I get so much stick because early in when, when Arsenal signed Mustafi, I said, look, you know, well, those two guys taken as individual centre-backs, as a pair... You know they are they're they're potentially one of the top pairings in in the Premier League, and we're still like ha 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 look at them. And so yeah, I'll, I'll take this one on the chin, but I still don't think that they're bad players, especially not Kasiani. And I'm wondering if you're Kasiani, you've been at Arsenal four or five years. Wenger won't work 
on a defensive game plan that suits you. You don't know where everybody is. Is it viable that he says, all right, guys, Nacho, Hector, you, let's figure out what the hell we're going to do when Oxlade-Chamberlain runs into another blind alley and, and loses the ball up the pitch and this guy goes there and this guy, can, can we spend an extra 50 minutes doing it? Because we all look like fools. And maybe we'll spend some time on this on, on set pieces too. And, you know, and maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain won't go and mark empty space like behind the, the far post, right? Is it too much of an ask? There's a story to this because when I ask people that keep telling me, that, you know, the Nigel Winterburns, the Ray Parlers of this world, the Martin Coates, what a fantastic manager and coach Arsene Wenger is, I always ask them, so did he teach you about the defensive side of the game? And they always say, well, not really. I said, did you do lots of... They were all 30 and they have been playing together for 10 years when he came. Did you and... do any defensive structure? Did you go out and work at the... And Arsene Wenger said to them at the time, if you want to go and do it, go and do it yourself. I mean... Unbelievable. So should Koscielny be rallying the, the troops and saying, guys, you know. But you can't just do it as a back foot. It has to be as a team. You yeah. have to, you, you have to, the whole should defensive game plan. Should be speaking up plans, with the manager then? Yes, he should be. The, and the person that should be speaking up with the manager, but seems to me frightened to, is Steve Bold. He's the assistant coach. He was a defender himself. He, I saw him work with the Arsenal youth team and they put out very, very well-structured sides. Why isn't he sorting them out? And I'll re- tell you the reason why, because he's not allowed to. He should, if he's got anything about him, he should be saying, I'm not standing for this anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, uh, have a go at Wenger. I'm going to challenge him. This is what we should be doing. We're not doing this well enough. But I don't think he does because nobody at Arsenal is allowed to challenge the manager. That Arsenal back four were almost you know, 30 or thereabouts when Wenger came in. And if you look at the West Brom back four, which uh, you know doing exceptionally well under Pulis, they're they're all relatively old. I mean, McCauley is sort of mid thirties, I think, and you know Evans and and Dawson, Dawson sort yeah. of late twenties, I think. And doesn't it kind of show the value of experience that position? You look at all the big centre back signings that the top clubs have done over the past few years. You know, Otamendi, Mangala, Stones, Bay, Mustafi. Matip, these are all young guys. I think they're all kind of, you know, 25 or, or, or much younger in some cases. I'll give you one that wasn't and has turned out to have an outstanding season and everybody laughed at him because of some, some comment he made years ago and that would be David Luiz. And yet he came back and he's been look pretty at, darn good. Look at Cahill. Everybody thought Cahill was, was terrible. Why is Aspilicueta, why is David Luiz and Cahill such a brilliant back three? As individuals, I think they're good players. They've got a brilliant coach who works at it day in, day out, who did the same with Juventus and has made them an outstanding team. It comes down to the coaching and the players, of course, carrying out the the manager's instructions. Paul, um, since obviously everybody's bought lock, stock and barrel into the narrative that Leicester players revolted and got Ranieri the sack now, obviously. And there's an interesting column on this from, from Matthew Side in the game where he's wondering whether Arsenal players have done the same. And for the record, let me reiterate, uh, since nobody seems to believe me, that I'm pretty sure Ranieri does not feel that the players went and got him the sack. But anyway, um, what do I know? I was shocked because I'm watching Match of the Day. Shearer came out and he, you know, they were talking about, Wenger said he'd made, he'd made his decision, but he hasn't told anybody yet and blah, 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 and all this nonsense, which we'll get to in a minute. Shearer says, like, well, it looks like to me like the players have made, with the exception of Alexis Sanchez, looks to me like the players have made the decision for him. And then he went and he blamed the player's effort. This is this is startling to me because now Sanchez is once again, he's gone from villain to hero again. And it's all the other drones at the club 
who are the villains. Did you buy this, that they're not putting out effort? Maybe it's not down to a lack of effort. It's just a, how can their minds be focused as players when your manager is coming out with statements saying, oh, I've, I know this is after the match, but, you know, I've, I've made my decision, but I've, I've, I've not told anyone. And, you know, the, 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 the constant talk of, is he staying, is he going, that's going to have an effect on whether Ozil stays, whether Sanchez stays. If those two go, then what does Hector Bellerin think? Does he think, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll stay and fight for this team, even though Pep Guardiola wants to sign me up at Manchester City? So that indecision is breeding a, lot, a lack of a confidence, a lack of, you know, there is a lack of leadership, as, as James was saying earlier, throughout the club. So, you know, that, that, that has got to have, a, have had a, a big impact on, on the players, you know, when they're actually out there on the pitch, the, the indecision with Wenger. Several newspapers reporting that Wenger has actually decided to stay. Um, but our own reporting at the Times, as Alison Rudd's piece, uh, quoting uh, sources close to, uh, to Wenger, saying that, no, in fact, he has not made his decision or rather that's not the decision i don't know if he says he's made his decision but then hasn't told anybody who the hell knows i'm it means that he hasn't if he hasn't told anybody he can change it whenever he wants to can't he this is true he's like on double secret probation james this is turning into a veritable car crash did he make a mistake by saying that he made his decision i think wenger has completely miscalculated because i think he throughout this season has operated under the idea that he's not going to clarify his decision because that will turn it into, you know, a sideshow. But by not clarifying his decision and letting the issue drag on, he's let it turn into far more of a sideshow than it would have done had he... So you got it right the first time there. But (laughs) but this is what I don't understand. Why would you say you've made your decision but you're not going to tell anybody? I mean, I, if you want to be totally honest because you can get away with it and say, well, no, I don't know, I haven't decided, that's fine. Okay, you've earned that, 20 years, whatever. You know, if your employer allows you to sit there and gild the lily until, uh, until the end of the season, fine. But now to come out and say, I've, I've decided, but I'm not going to tell anybody? What the hell? And then when somebody asked him, have you informed the board? <laughs> no, I would, I would tell you uh, in due course. I mean, they surely need to know so that they can, whatever they're going to do with players, what they're going to do about a new manager, whatever it may be, or whether it's going to be the same manager. Do you think Ivan knows? Uh... I mean, they're very close, I would imagine. And he's sworn to secrecy? Yeah, probably. I feel like I'm vengered out, but James, you haven't been on this podcast anywhere near as much as I have because I'm here every week, except when Max Rushton's here, of course. Um, do you have anything new or original to say about Wenger and his contract? I think one angle of the of the whole Wenger issue that hasn't kind of been explored a lot is actually, you know, we talk a lot about whether Wenger staying or going is good for Arsenal. I don't think Wenger staying at Arsenal is or has been particularly good for Wenger as a manager himself. If you look at the, you know, the top managers of Wenger's sort of age in the world, you know, Fernando Santos, Ranieri, they've all had greater successes in the past, you know, two or three years than Wenger has had in the past decade. Maybe partly because they've all gone through so much change, whether they've, you know, consciously sought it or whether they've had change forced upon them. And it's kept them sharp. And Wenger is the opposite. He's been allowed to stay in situ at Arsenal. And he's grown, I think, complacent, a bit soft. This same conversation I've had for the last eight years. 
the same the, the, the same you're the a bit same, obsessed are you well, this, this should have been seen eight years ago by the Arsenal board and, and the Arsenal fans and, well, and everybody well, what else what Arsenal board you keep going on about what, what, why but, do people think that there's an Arsenal board well, there still has to be somebody in charge of Arsenal it doesn't yes. seem to be does there that, there is and his name is Stan Kroenke right I would presume because even Gazidis is under Arsene Wenger, I think. Yeah, but all these people, I, I never get this bored thing where you think Sir Chips is like, is, <laughs> did you, do you know what I mean? So like, who's going to give the next manager the job if, it is an, if there is a next manager? It's going to be Cronky. He's going to do his sums and he's going to say, when this starts hurting me in the wallet, this is what happens. Am I wrong here, Paul? Like people, people talk about like the apathy of Arsenal fans and stuff like that. They have the power. There are visible protests, better ones than a plane. What you can do, for example, if there's enough people who feel strongly enough, say, all right, this week, we're not going to walk into the Emirates until 15 minutes into the game. And then television can show all these, these empty stands. And this will embarrass the club and to spur them into action. And if enough of you feel that way, then that's fine. Why can't y'all get organized in this country, Paul, and do stuff like that? I must admit, some of the some of the banners have been pretty pathetic, haven't they? They've been quite small and really kind of <laughs> really poorly uh, poorly produced. Yeah, even even the plain banners weren't you know weren't you know you'd expect a, a little bit of a you know abuse in them at, at least. Um, when it comes comes to the you know the board or the hierarchy or, or whatever, you just there's so much indecision that they're just they're just hanging around waiting for for Wenger, aren't they? He's he's the only one who's in charge there. Does, does Cronky really care? He's shown very little interest in the club whatsoever. Since he bought it, I mean, how many times has he been to matches? You know, count one on one hand. Really, he, he, he just basically waiting to see what what, what Wenger does. Wenger's in charge, and there's no way that they will remove him. He will decide what, when he goes, and that's why I don't think the one year contract thing is, you know, is, is not really plausible because that that would be Wenger weakening his position, and that, that's the last thing that he wants to do. If he wants to stay, he won't be for a token one year. He'll be, I want to stay because I. Still got confidence in my ability to to bring you know bring the glory days back. Joining us now for our debate, it's uh, it's Henry Winter from uh, from St George's, where England are getting ready to renew hostilities with with Germany. I'm going to go off the bat and just chuck this to you. Can you give me two things? People often ask for three things or five things. I'm just going to ask you two to begin with. Two things that really have you excited for this England get together. Oh, two. Can I go for one? Um, no, two. Look, in, <laughs> international football, everyone says, well, it's the, the, the corner shop surrounded by the great skyscrapers of the Champions League and it's being eclipsed. But f- for me, it, nothing stirs the blood like a good international. And, and I also think nationally, the big television, viewing, podcast, print audiences are for an iconic match. An, an England international, a huge game... And the crazy thing is, look, England-Lithuania, the place will be packed out. There'll be, there'll be focus on it. Reporters will, will, will come from you know, all, all over the place. And this is England, who's not done anything for 50 years, you know, a couple of semi-finals. So there's always that little buzz of going to, to England. And you know what? This might sound sort of um, obvious, but I really like going and talking to footballers. I really like going and watching matches. And when you stir in that international ingredient, our best against your best, even though our best is not very good, even though we've got a lot to learn from the, the Germans on Wednesday, I think that is special. So I will always happily pick a fight with anyone who tries to dismiss international football. Okay, tactically, technically, I understand Champions League is better, and I'm lucky to go to a lot of Champions League games. 
but nothing. And when the hipsters come out and they sort of poo-poo international football, I go, get real. This is the real visceral emotional stuff. This is where the you know Stuart played a very good level. This this is where it's it's the you know the heart as well as the head. This is where you know you you can put the whole England national team on a, on a sofa and try and so psychoanalyze them and get to the depths of what's going on. It's just the best moments of the the year, the international moments. Even though, as God, I think the last England match I missed was in 1993, and I've done every game since then. Even though I know what's going to happen, it's the chronicle of a death foretold, not on a sudden death. You know what's going to happen, and yet I still go and I still love it. Wow, I feel like when we do this, we need to put some rousing uh, music in the background. You certainly you can have, have a bit of pomp and circumstance, exactly. Back, and you can you can take the Mickey. But I tell you what, it is it is. Look, we live in a life where things become increasingly anesthetized, increasingly safe, and actually, I just love just seeing people walking into Wembley. They know what's going to happen. They know England are going to underperform. They know the shirt's going to weigh heavy. But, you know, there'll be dads taking kids there for the Lithuanians. There'll be, there'll be mums, daughters, there'll be families there. International football still matters. No, I, I agree. I, I think in terms of, of creating events and, and, and stories, I still remember, actually, you say you know what's going to happen. I, I remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember, a 5-1 England victory in, in Germany. Where, where Nick Barm, not just had Nick Barmby played, um, and I even remember the nil-nil victory in Rome way back in was it 1997? Well, so, Glenn Hoddle, I mean, Ian exactly. Ian finest hour. There Paul you Lynch, go. When uh, when one of your compatriots kindly locked the dressing room door and uh, they had to run around looking for the key, and then afterwards they had to run around looking for beers to celebrate England qualifying. And unfortunately, Gaza knew where the uh, the, 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 the doping room was, <laughs> and they went in there and got the beers. Well, there you go. What specifically in this game are you excited about? I mean, is it Southgate? Is it maybe this this Barkley Dele Alley conundrum, or, or well, is it even a conundrum? England played against Germany. Um, everyone got excited because England won in Berlin, and it was all raw raw England. And you're going to go, no, never go raw raw England on the eve of tournaments. You know what's going to happen, and then we all know what happened next. So um, I just want to see individuals taking responsibility because of the problems with the academy system. I know there's some that Stuart talked a lot, and everyone's talked a lot. There's a problem with the academy system in creating players who take responsibility and they don't necessarily take responsibility for their lives because they live in a concierge culture, everything's done for them. They don't often take responsibility on the pitch. So I want to see individuals going out there and in difficult situations, okay, it's only friendly, but taking responsibility. I want to see some progression. I want to see England playing with more pride in the show. I know that's a cliche, but you, but, you know, look at Wales in the summer. Lesser players, in inverted commas, not with the, the talent pool, even though England is, is limited to pick from, but they got lifted by putting on the shirt. I want to see England play with just a little bit more pride and also a little bit more intelligence. So marginal gains, taking little steps forward, building under Gareth Southgate towards Russia, where if we get out of the group, then that will be good. But let's take it, you know, it's baby steps still. I, I want to ask you, though, specifically uh, about Ross Barkley and, and Dele Alley, because I think, you know, those are two very exciting players. I, I was thinking about what you said about um, academy products sometimes being a bit costed and, and protected. I'm just going to throw this out there. Ross Barkley obviously grew up in an academy, one of the best academies in England. Dele Alley, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stuart, since you know more about this stuff than I do, was, was at MK Dons, yeah. and I'm assuming he came through the ranks there, where you perhaps... Yeah, 90-odd games. And, and, you know, exactly. So, would it, I, mean, I want to ask you, does that 
translate? Does that somehow impact the way the way they play, their personality, the, the way they are? Deli Ali doesn't look scared when he plays for England, and that's and that is good. And that is because he has built up a sort of body of work of playing under Carl Robinson at MK, playing up. You know, we don't unfortunately have a sort of reserve team culture at the moment. But Deli Ali was was effectively doing that by playing against you know stronger individuals, um, streetwise players. And developing. I mean, you know, you can actually see the real streetwise element to, to Delhi with the way that he uh, he um, takes certain challenges. So, you know, that. De- De- but Delhi Ali is not sort of indicative of the the English system. I think probably about half of them grew up in football league academies initially, but a lot of them did grow up in the in the bubble. Ross Barkley is is, is fascinating. Ross Barkley is, is one of the most talented players we've produced in in recent years, but he's quite shy as an individual. And he just needs a, a bit of love. And I think when Ronald Koeman took this tack towards him of challenging him, calling him out, a bit of tough love, leaving him on the bench, he wasn't used to that because Roberto Martinez would be, Ross, you're the greatest player in the world. We love you and we look after you. And actually, Koeman's approach has been absolutely the making of Ross Barkley. And I'm a huge fan of Ross Barkley as, a, as an individual as well as a, as, a, as a footballer. And you just see the way he's developing under Koeman. So look, that's great for um, for, for England. It's you know it's it's marked the end of Wayne Rooney's uh, involvement with England. But it's good that there are these rival number tens coming through. Help me out here though, because um, I, I I'm trying to sort of imagine what England could look like, assuming again everybody's fit and, and these guys continue to to progress. So I presume there'll be a centre forward and may well be Harry Kane when when he's fit again. But I'm interested in this this Ali Barkley thing because. If you play both of them in the side in an attacking midfield position, you either play a Christmas tree or you have to, and, and thereby drop Raheem Sterling, or you have to stick somebody wide. What, what do you think Southgate's thinking is on this, and, and what's your thinking? Well, I agree with you on terms of Deli Alley and, and, and Ross in the same team. I mean, the, the, the unspoken, or certainly publicly unspoken rule when Hodgson was there and there were the coaches around, like Gary Neville and people like that, was that you couldn't play Barkley and, and Rooney in the same team. And on that basis, I don't quite see how you can necessarily play Deli Alley and Barkley in the same team. But on, on sorry, the basis, sorry, but, but Hodgson still found found a way to play Alley and Rooney in the same team, which seems yeah. But he played him now. in the field with Rooney. No, I know, but and, it, and it seems just, stupid. It, but it, sorry, it, but just it, me. it didn't work. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it, there's only one number ten shirt. Um, so, well, look, Kane when he's fit starts. But the, the important thing is that England become like more intelligent, sophisticated footballing countries. And if, say, Deli Ali is not available, Ross Barkley can step in. You talked about intelligence. Do you think Gareth Southgate's got the ability to, uh, as a coach, to, to improve players' intelligence, tactical understanding? Not from what I saw in the under-21, Stuart, to, to, to be honest. But I, I think this is a general issue with you know, England have really got to work with what we've got. Personally, I feel the England manager should be English. It should be our best against your best. And if we've only got three or four contenders, English contenders, for, for the national team job, then we've actually got to invest more in St George's Park and, and develop longer term for the future. So, you know, Southgate is, is not top of the range, and I hope he can develop. But it's true, though, isn't it? We don't have a huge pool of contenders. And, and that is where, that's where the FA have to improve, because if you produce coaches that are mediocre, you're going to have mediocre players. Totally agree. Honestly, I could, I could not agree more, and that's why you know, I'm not We're not producing good and coaches. Right on this. We've got to develop. We've always been a little bit sort of amateurish in terms of um, should we invest in coaching and, and management. But I think, to be fair to the FA now, if you go to St George's Park, you, know, you can see that they are slowly but 
we need a bigger talent pool of managers, let alone players. Um, final point on this for me, just viewed from the outside, I, I, as somebody who's not English but obviously lives here, I see a, a ton of pretty exciting attacking players being produced. Um, but I look in the centre-back role and, yeah. you know, we talked about Stones earlier and I kind of see the same sort of Smalling, and again, I don't want to pick on Smalling, but we also saw the back header yesterday. Uh, is is there an issue there? Uh, have you have you had a chance to talk to the FA? Is it just a is it is it a blip? Is it is just a cyclical thing? We've we've had an issue at centre half for eleven years. I mean, you, you know, you look at the depth of centre halves who went to the two thousand six World Cup. You know, Terry, Ferdinand, Carragher, and um, and Sol Campbell, if memory serves. That's pretty you know. good. That's a great <laughs> four. You know, John Stones is developing, and he, and he might rival Rio Ferdinand um, but you know we don't have I mean Gary Cahill will probably captain against Germany Cahill's got a mistake in it you know we saw it against Uruguay Cavani Suarez and individuals like that we do not have we don't have great centre-halves Why? anymore in terms of what are they doing what is the FA have you, have you asked Ashworth or those guys is there anything they can do to address it? Do they have any theories about why that's the you case? Know, there's a crisis in central defending in this country, and it's partly down to uh, the, 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 the changes in refereeing. They don't know how to tackle. I don't think they're taught how to, uh, to, 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 to tackle. I think the, the, the prevalence increasingly of playing one up front, that there's another defender who's not quite sure what to do. But I think it's an issue in the academies as well. You know, they all want to be number 10s. You know, let's, let's, let's develop some fives and sixes. Okay, this section of the show is called Quick Hits. Um, let me just run through the rules for the benefit of James, who's doing this for the first time. I will ask you a question, and you will answer it. Uh, you have 20 seconds in which to answer it, at which point you will hear this sound effect. And at 25 seconds, I will play this sound effect. And if you keep going, I will just start shouting over you in a very rude way. As normal. As I normally do. Mourinho was grumpy all week, complaining about fixture congestion and kickoff times, but then without Pogba, Ibrahimovic, and Mkhitaryan, also known as the Ryala crew, funny they're all at the same time, uh, he pulls a win at Middlesbrough out of the hat, and they're fifth. Stuart, tell me his ingenuity and the fact that the sides in second, third, and fourth are, shall we say, not quite as defensively solid or defensively obsessed, um, are going to see them over the line? I think it could well do because what he's doing at the moment, uh, he's, he's complaining about the fixture list, he's changing his formation, he's changing uh, the players, uh, for the, depending on the opposition. He's got the squad players playing with enthusiasm and endeavour. So he's obviously his man management's been much better in the last few months than it was at the start. I think Manchester United will get into the Champions League through the top four positions. So they won't even need to win the Europa League? No, not even going to need to win it. Top four finish, League Cup, Europa League and... When what a he, season for Mourinho. Exactly. And then thank you, Duncan Castles. Speaking of Middlesbrough, Paul, uh, I'm relying on you to tell me who, is it Steve Agnew is and um, why Karanka is gone? Well, Steve Agnew is the new caretaker manager for Middlesbrough. His second spell in charge there. He now has a record of played three, lost three. And he's uh, Karanka's temporary replacement because the Middlesbrough players weren't happy with him. Uh, Patrick Bamford and uh, Stuart Downing in particular fell out with him and that's why he's gone. I get Stuart Downing, club legend, blah, blah, blah. But Patrick Bamford? I mean, does he really have so much clout in the Middlesbrough dressing room that he can get Aitor Karanka sacked? When you clash with your players 
that kind of spreads the rest of the dressing room, doesn't it? You know, it breeds a, an air of kind of defiance against the the manager, and, and they became as, as one against him, from what I can gather. I think there's more to come on this one, and it was funny seeing Mourinho stick up for his old mate. Chelsea win at Stoke 2-1 and show more than a little bit of steel at the Britannia. Uh, James, is there any chance or scenario? In fact, give me a scenario where they go and they blow this one. Uh, <laughs> well, I was, I was, I was going to say... Uh, Diego I, Costa getting arrested? Yes, well, I, I think Costa would probably... I don't know. I, I think losing Costa, that would probably be the biggest blow, I think. That might be the maybe the one thing that could derail them just because Conte seems to have so little trust in Batshuayi. But I think realistically, no, there is no chance, um, you know... Conte, they've got no European distraction. Conte has a week to prepare for each game. There's no way he's going to let this slip. Oh, I hit the wrong sound effect. (laughs) Nicely done. Uh, Tottenham do keep pace, beating Southampton 2-1 and showing that even without Kane, Eriksen and Ali can do the job. Stuart, I've long been fascinated by Christian Eriksen and his creativity and talent mixed with what I deem to be major lack of natural athleticism, although Mm -hmm. he works hard, he makes up for it. Do you want to talk about the Wonder Dane who is quietly having a tremendous season? Yeah, he's having a, a really good season, as you said. 16 he's, assists, yeah. I think I saw on he's television. He's an excellent passer of the ball. He can score from distance. He's a good free kick taker. I think he's clever with his movement. But, there's a but. If you look at the Chelsea players that are playing in a similar role, Pedro and William have got the dynamism to play counter-attacking football. When Spurs are under the cosh slightly, I'm not sure Eriksen's going to be the same sort of player. He needs to be playing in a side every week that is dominant, and that's when he plays at his best. Yeah, but he's got enough athletic guys around him, Ali and the Wanyama and I, I think he's a, he's a very good player to take Spurs to win the title and win Champions League maybe needs somebody slightly more athletic to do the same things that Eriksen does with more athleticism. He just doesn't like particularly gifted players. You, 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 you're not a Juan Roman Riquelme fan, are you? Oh, I like Riquelme, yeah. Everton beat Hull 4-0, though the result is somewhat over-the-top harsh on my man Marco Silva. Lukaku scores two goals and, in some quarters, is being criticized for not extending his contract. Um, Paul, why are folk so hard on him? Um, in fact, why should he come out and be bullied into extending his contract now? Well, people think he's been disloyal by coming out and saying that, you know, his ambitions or the club's ambitions don't match his. But I just think he's, you know, what's what's wrong with him coming out and saying that, you know, I want to be in the Champions League. He's clearly good enough to be in the Champions League. He's, he would score plenty of goals in that competition. Um, and if he doesn't think that Everton are going to get there, then why should he hang around and, and, and just go through the motions with them? Not to mention, I think he has, he's got two years left after this, right? Yeah, two years has become the new one year, hasn't it? You know, if, if, if you've got two years left on your contract, you've got to be, uh, there's a question mark over your future. This just annoys me because, you know what, Everton, if you're not happy with him in the summer, just sell him for a great big whack of money. If you've sold him this summer, you'd be talking sort of 80, 90 million, wouldn't you? Scary thought. Sunderland are held at home by Burnley, who supposedly can't do anything away from home, but then proved us wrong with the performance at Anfield and, and this one. James, was this the game that relegated David Moyes? Please say it so, please. Yeah, I, I think Sunderland are down. I, I sort of, um, I, I really thought that 
David Moyes would, to an extent, rehabilitate his managerial reputation this season. I thought he would maybe do sort of a similar kind of job to what Roy Hodgson did at West Brom after a high-profile failure, come in and sort of slightly re-establish his good name by establishing a, a struggling club in mid-table. But it hasn't happened at all, and he's going to be relegated with a twenty-goal as well—not twenty-goal season, but with you know a, a reliable goal scorer on his team, which is not good for his reputation. And there's one for you here, Gab. Uh, Bayern are now 13 points clear in Bundesliga, which rather surprised me since I thought Ancelotti was supposed to be rubbish at winning leagues and only cared about the Champions League. Right, I think there's a fundamental truism here. Um, When people say, like, oh, look, he's won three league titles or whatever it is in 20 years, they don't actually consider the teams that he was managing because you know what? I mean, you know, I can tell you, like, about the, the, the wizard behind the curtain. If you have the best team, unless you're a complete dolt, you will probably win the title. And he managed big names. He was at Milan, but he was at Milan in a period where Milan clearly were not the best team in Italy by any stretch. And that is why he hasn't won that many league titles. And then throw in the other ones that he lost because Edwin van der Sar dropped the ball or because the heavens opened up on the last day of the season. And, you know, he's at Bayern. He's got the best team. And you certainly expect them to win the title. 13 points clear. And... Besides, I think God clearly didn't want Red Bull Leipzig to win for does, obvious reasons. Does the quick hits not apply to you? Do you no. go over the 20 seconds? You know what? Because I haven't got the buzzer. So okay, I... well, you know what, Stuart? I, I know you hate European football and you never watch it and anything beyond the short, but this is the only taste that our listeners get because okay. we, we, we're so Premier League focused that, you know, I'm sorry if I decide to give a little bit more on Bayern. You can also go read my excellent column on Ancelotti and, uh, and Zidane in the game this week. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guest today, Henry Winter, joining us from St. George's Park. Um, Paul Hurst joining us from a motorway rest stop on the way to St. George's Park. Uh, James Gearbrandt making his game podcast debut. And Stuart Robson, uh, an old hand discussing what else, Arsene Wenger and lots of other stuff. Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial if uh, you'd like to subscribe to our newspaper and our website. You can just search the Times online. You get neat little doodads too, like uh, like, like legal Champions League and uh, Premier League highlights. You don't have to go on, on YouTube anymore and feel dirty while doing it or listening to them but with, with Arabic commentary or, or people videoing a mirror reflection to try to get around copyright rules. Press that subscribe button and leave a review on iTunes, only if it's a nice review, of course, if you happen to be listening on an Apple device. We're going to be back next week. It's International Week. Yay! The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.